Thanks for joining me on this Cleveland Baseball Morning. We have so much to talk about in this episode. We've got mailbag questions to answer. We've got our MVPs on the season to hand out. We've got Guardians offseason news. And, of course, we have a World Series champion for the 2021 season. Congratulations to Atlanta. I was kind of rooting for them a little bit. I mean, can't root for Houston, right? Can't root for Houston after the cheating scandal. So even though Atlanta beat us in 95, I didn't carry a grudge. I was rooting for them to win this World Series. And it's a pretty remarkable story. I mean, the fact that they rebuilt their entire outfield at the trade deadline is insanity. And normally I wouldn't spend a lot of time with this, but those guys end up being the heroes of the World Series, right? The heroes of the playoffs for Atlanta. And one of them was from Cleveland, was Eddie Rosario. So I feel like we got to spend a second talking about this. I mean, they start their uh, season with Ronald Acuna Jr., Marcelo Zuna, uh, Ender Enciarte, and uh, Guillermo Heredia as their outfield. Well, Enciarte has a terrible season, ends up getting cut. Uh, Acuna with the injury. Ozuna gets into legal trouble. Heredia was still there as a defensive replacement. So what do they do? They go out and get Jorge Soler. They go out and get Adam Duvall. They go out and get Jack Peterson. And they go out and get Eddie Rosario. Now, what are the odds that all four of those guys would play better once they got to Atlanta? What are the odds that all four of them would improve? When they got to Atlanta, that is exactly what happened here. Now, some made small adjustments, you know, small increases. Basically, Duvall and Jock Peterson pretty much were the same guys they were. Uh, Duvall coming from Miami, who is someone, a name that was definitely thrown out there for the Cleveland Indians if they wanted to stay competitive in the American League Central. An outfielder that they could have gone after was Duvall. Uh, he had 22 home runs in Miami. Uh, and then he uh, was up to 16 home runs uh, for Atlanta and only 55 games. Now, this is someone Atlanta has seen before. He had been with Atlanta the last three seasons before going to Miami, so then they had to go get him back. But his OPS plus did go from 100 to 104, so he did increase. Jack Peterson, who they got from the Cubs, uh, Peterson was doing okay uh, for the Cubs, but not great, only a 230 hitter. A 91 OPS plus. He goes up to a 96 OPS plus once he gets to Atlanta. And obviously had some huge moments in the playoffs, right? Jocktober hit some big ALDS home runs. Jorge Soler, who ends up hitting the big home run, uh, the big moment in the World Series. He was with Kansas City. Obviously been with Kansas City for a long time after coming up with Chicago Cubs. He goes back to the National League, and he takes his OPS plus. He was hitting 192. He was only slugging 370. He had a 76 OPS plus in Kansas City. Terrible season. He ends up uh, raising his average to 269, raising his slugging percentage to 524, ends up at a 128 OPS plus. So goes from well below league average to well above league average. And then Eddie Rosario coming from Cleveland, he was having an okay season in Cleveland, hitting 254, but not a lot of power, only slugging 389, right? An 86 OPS plus, below average. Gets to Atlanta and ends up hitting 271 for them, a 573 slugging percentage, ends up with a 131 OPS plus for them. And some monster hits 
in the playoffs, including the World Series. So it is absolutely incredible what Atlanta did uh, with their outfield. And it's, it's mind-blowing that that all worked out for them, that everything they did at the trade deadline worked out and got them a World Series. So it shows, I mean, this is a team that was not in first place. This is a team that ended up, I think, with the worst record entering the playoffs of all the division winners. And they go on to win the World Series because they made a commitment at the trade deadline to go for it. And they were losing pitchers left and right, right? They lose their ace starter in the first game of the World Series. And Max Fried is able to come back and turn it on, have an amazing game six. Uh, Pitching was huge. The bullpen for Atlanta was huge. So, I mean, these are some of the lessons we can take away from this World Series as a team that is still on the edge of contention, right? It, 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 It went a little bit south at the end of this season, but I think we all anticipate Cleveland coming back into contention, the Guardians coming back into contention for the 2022 season. Uh, And this blueprint from Atlanta, taking a shot at the trade deadline and really having strong pitching, strong bullpen, is obviously a blueprint that the Guardians can follow, right? We can try to make that same kind of investment at the trade deadline this time. Well, speaking of trades, speaking of the Guardians, let's get into the offseason news for Cleveland. And the first thing is, I can't believe that I mean, I shouldn't be shocked that taking down the Indian sign and off the scoreboard was like huge news. And it really shouldn't be, right? If you are the Cleveland baseball franchise, wouldn't you be trying to change the narrative a little bit so it's not a funeral for the Indians nickname uh, as we approach the first Guardian season? But no, they seem to not care. They seem to not care what the public perception is of that. They just let the media run wild with these stories. They let Indians Twitter run wild with these stories. They do nothing to change the narrative. So we spent an entire day, it felt like a funeral for the Indian sign, for the sign out in center field. Where is it going to end up? Right? They said they're going to put it in storage. It'll probably end up someplace like the Western Reserve Historical Society, which if you've never been to Cleveland, right, for all our listeners around the world, Uh, around the country. If you've never been to Cleveland, there's a really cool museum called the Western Reserve Historical Society. A lot of cool Cleveland artifacts and stuff like the history of the city and the region. And they have the old Chief Wahoo that used to sit atop uh, the old stadium, old municipal stadium. Remember that big Chief Wahoo? Maybe you've only seen it from the movie Major League, right? But that old Chief Wahoo that used to be up there, a huge three-story, I think it's it's got to be something like 30 feet tall. Uh, it is at the Western Reserve Historical Society here in Cleveland. So I wouldn't be surprised. I wouldn't be surprised if they have some kind of exhibit. that, And they would do a really good job of explaining the history and the cultural impact that that history had, right? You got to look at both sides of the story. So uh, I'm waiting for the Cleveland to change, officially change everything to Guardians. I, I thought it was going to happen after the World Series, but I mean, the website is still Cleveland Indians. The, I, my, my MLB app, it's the team is still listed as Indians. I'm waiting for all that to change over to Guardians. I'm ready to change the podcast over to Guardians. And I'm going to start getting used to saying it too. That's going to be the other fun thing. So we will talk Cleveland franchise, Guardians news, off-season news, because we are now 
heading into the Guardian season. So we'll wrap up a little bit of Indians news and then head into the Guardian season. So some of the other news, some of the real baseball news is that they've started to make moves on the 40-man roster. So they've picked up some options. They've declined some options. They pick up the option on Jose Ramirez. And I think that's something that we can all say is a good thing. There are some wild, crazy takes on Indians Twitter about like, oh, picking up the option was a mistake, blah, blah, blah. They need to work out a long-term extension. No, you... You have time to work out a long-term extension still. The guy has options for the next two years. Like, you pick up the option. That's that's silly. That is a silly take. So, Jose Ramirez is locked in for next year, and now they have the offseason to work on an extension. Um, not only that, him and Miles Straw were named uh, Gold Glove finalists, so that's pretty cool. Uh, actually, Jose Ramirez is in the running a finalist for a few different awards. I think a Silver Slugger, too, maybe for third base. So, uh, yeah, we locked up Jose Ramirez. Obviously, working out a long-term extension with him would be the thing, would be the one commitment from the Cleveland front office that would really lock the fans in for 2022, right? It would really get some positive vibes and some buy-in if you can lock up Jose Ramirez, I think more than anybody else, right? More than any other contract they could possibly get done, right? Jose Ramirez is the guy because we want someone to say, you know, to root for, to say he's our guy. Right now, they're arguing about the new collective bargaining agreement. And one of the main topics is when a player can reach free agency. The players want to reach free agency sooner. The owners don't propose that they don't reach free agency until they're 29 and a half years old, which means a guy like. Um, Fernando Tatis Jr. out in San Diego, a guy who got called up so young, would be in that franchise for a long time. He'd be locked in for a long time by the team that drafted him. You know, a guy like, I don't know how Bobby Bradley is or Yu Chang, you know, a guy who maybe doesn't make it up to the majors until his mid-20s, might actually get the free agency sooner. So some players it helps, some players it hurts. But what it does is it locks more guys into their cities and gives the fans somebody to root for for a longer time. We want guys that are our guys. We want guys that are going to be with it. It's been a long time since a guy started and finished his career in one uniform in Cleveland, right? It's been a long time since that's happened. So we will see where the Jose Ramirez contract situation goes from here. Roberto Perez, they declined his option. Frankly, the guy just has not been on the field enough. Now, he is a free agent. He is a completely free agent, but the Indians do have a chance to negotiate with him and bring him back at a reduced price, depending on what the market looks like for catchers out there. I mean, people are already starting to make trades for catchers. The Reds traded Tucker Barnhart uh, to Detroit. Detroit, who look out, could be a major player in free agency in this offseason. They think they're ready to come back and compete. They, I don't know if they have the pitching, but they think they do. They think they are ready to come back and compete with the Indians and the White Sox, the Guardians and the White Sox. So I would not be shocked if they put some real money out there this offseason. We know Detroit's always been a team that can spend. Now, uh, Roberto Perez was not the only guy that was let go. Um, the Indians also got rid of Nick Wickren. They didn't get rid of him, but they didn't. They outrighted him. 
they didn't basically give him another contract. So Nick Wickren is off the roster now. Cam Hill is off the roster now. I believe that Brian Shaw and uh, Blake Parker uh, and uh, Francisco Perez are all off the roster. So what this is doing is this is creating a situation on the 40-man roster where we need to clear some room before the Rule 5 draft. I actually had a fun conversation trying to explain all this to my wife, how the Rule 5 draft works. And for those of you who don't know, who keep hearing about the Rule 5 draft, I'm going to do a quick Rule 5 draft lesson. Basically, for any player who joined their team at 19 or younger, uh, if they've been in the minor leagues for five seasons, and for anyone 19 and older for four seasons, other teams basically have a shot at them to free them up, to get them to the major leagues. Now, say you're a guy who's been stuck at third base because the Cleveland Indians have a third baseman like Jose Ramirez. So you're a minor leaguer who's a third baseman who's just been stuck in the minor leagues for five years, and there's nowhere for you to go. This allows another team to come in, offer you an opportunity at the major league level, and select you in the Rule 5 draft if you're not protected on the 40-man roster. So, uh, it also, if you don't stay on the major league team for the entire season, then they have to put you on waivers. That's what happened with Kai Tom. If you remember the outfielder who was taken by Oakland, then he was put on waivers. Then Pittsburgh took him off waivers. If Pittsburgh didn't take him, he would have been offered back to us. So, uh, it's a very strange thing, but it's designed to give players that have been stuck in the minor leagues where the team is not giving them the opportunity they deserve. It's for other teams to give them that opportunity. It's for the players. Now, what Cleveland has to do is they have to clear room on their 40-man roster to protect some guys because they have a ton of prospects, a ton of guys that you want to see wear a Cleveland uniform, a Guardians uniform. Uh, they need to protect them on the 40-man roster. So um, to do this, they're going to have to clear out some space. And there are some guys Bradley Zimmer, uh, Mercado, Daniel Johnson, Harold Ramirez in the outfield. They have to decide if these guys are worth keeping around. We talked about this in our last episode. Uh, They really have to make a decision because there are some young prospects that need to be protected. George Valera, Tyler Freeman, Brian Rocchio. There is a great breakdown of all of this in The Athletic by Zach Meisel, uh, which I'm pulling a lot of these names from. Um, he had them as the top prospects, the no-brenners that they have to lock up. Uh, there's other guys. The catcher, Brian Lavastida. Uh, they got to lock him up. Richie Palacios. Um, you know, these are names that they really got to take care of. Then there's some older guys, uh, some guys that were at AAA this year. Oscar Gonzalez. Steven Kwan is a name that I've heard a lot on Indians Twitter of protecting. Gonzalez led the farm system in home runs, and he's an outfielder. Quan hit 328, slashed uh, 407 on base and a 527 slugging uh, in 77 games. Uh, and he walks more walks than strikeouts. Now, does that sound like a guy you want to invest in? It sounds to me like an outfielder I want to give a shot to. Uh, you know, but that's the question. Like, we've seen guys like Owen Miller. We've seen guys like even Bradley Zimmer and uh, Oscar Mercado who were crushing AAA pitching, and they come up to the majors and they're 190 hitters. 
Now, there's no guarantee that an Oscar or Gonzalez or a Stephen Kwan would be any better than Bradley Zimmer or Oscar Mercado or Daniel Johnson. There's no guarantee there. But as the Indians, as the Guardians franchise, man, that's getting hard to say. Uh, I'll figure it out. As the Guardians franchise, they have to figure that out. They have to make that decision. Now, you know, as a podcaster, it's not my job to make that decision. I'm always intrigued by the possibility of a player I haven't seen yet. You never know how good this Stephen Kwan or Oscar Gonzalez could be at the major league level. I kind of have a feeling how good Zimmer and Oscar Mercado could be. And I don't think I want to make a commitment to them and Daniel Johnson and Harold Ramirez. I think between the four of them, uh, that's too many guys that have kind of been middling major league talent right? Below average major league talent. That's too many guys to hang on to when we really need to rebuild this outfield. So will they protect any of those guys? Also, there's some pitchers, Connor Pilkington, Joey Cantillo. Uh, there's prospects like that. Uh, Cantillo came over uh, in, the, um, in the Clevenger trade. Pilkington came over at the trade deadline this year, and I think was a major player in the uh, and for the Akron Rubber Ducks as they went for their double-A championship. So there's someone. He Pilkington came over for Cesar Hernandez. So there's somebody that is definitely worth protecting. There are a lot of names here to protect. Now, the thing you have to know about the Rule 5 draft is that every team is feeling this crunch. So every team is trying to figure out what prospects that they need to put on their 40-man roster to protect and Every single team in baseball is going to leave a huge list of prospects unprotected. In fact, the question is, will the Indians only protect 38 or 39 players so that they have room to go out and get somebody? That's the thing I'm interested in seeing. I I really hope they do. I hope they only protect 39 and leave themselves a little flexibility to go out and get someone. I mean, we got Trevor Steffen last year. And I still think there's a really good relief pitcher in Trevor Steffen somewhere. So we'll see what they end up doing here. Now, there are names like Johensky Noel and Jose Tina, uh, guys that are really young still, uh, guys that haven't really played above single A. And yes, teams could go get him. Johensky Noel, someone could go get him and bring him up onto their major league roster. I think he touched, did he touch double A this year? Uh, he won't turn 21 until mid-July of this season, uh, as far as uh, Zach Meisel has it here in his article. He isn't someone, I wanted to do a profile on him because I heard his name a ton over at the Lake County Captains. Um, I wanted to do a prospect profile on him, but we haven't got to him yet. Really, really good hitter. Um, but he hasn't, uh, he hasn't really... Got in the high heels. Like he said, he won't turn 20. He's in his 20s. He's 20. So it would be a huge risk for a team to go out and get a guy that's basically been at the A level and bring him onto their major league team. So do you have to protect a guy like that? Probably not. Probably not. It would be a huge stretch for a major league team to go grab him and put him on their major league roster. But a team like Pittsburgh or Baltimore that are still in the Texas that are in their rebuilds might take a chance on someone like that. You never know. It's a you never know with this Rule Five draft what risk teams are willing to take. When really 
The only thing that hurts them is if it doesn't work out, they just offer the player back. So you never know what's going to happen with these Rule 5 drafts. But yeah, I would recommend going. We would be here for about 45 minutes going through all these names that they have to protect. But there are a lot of decisions to make. And things like... uh, you know, letting Brian Shaw and Blake Parker, Wilson Ramos has officially a free agent. That clears up another spot. Guys on the injured list have to be put back on the roster. So Josh Naylor and Nick Sandlin have to rejoin the roster. So there is a lot of maneuvering here. Now there's some guys that are already protected. Nolan Jones is already on the 40-man roster. Um, who else here? Who's a minor leaguer who hasn't come up yet? Uh, Gabriel Arias is already on the 40-man roster. So these aren't guys that they have to actively protect or find a way to protect. They are protected. So yeah, so it's going to be interesting to see how they clear up space, how they clear up more room. I think last I heard, they've already cleared up, um, you know, a couple of spots. So they do have some wiggle room. I think they're in the mid-30s right now as far as officially on the 40-man roster. So we'll see how that continues to shape up. And we'll consi- we'll see if they even have a Rule 5 draft in December. It's supposed to be the beginning of December. But it's supposed to be like the day after the deadline for the new collective bargaining agreement. So if they don't get the collective bargaining agreement done, and they end up in some type of lockout, strike, lockout, whatever you want to call it, do they even have the Rule 5 draft, or do they have to wait until they get that contract done before they could have the Rule 5 draft? So it's going to be a weird offseason. I mean, they could technically be in a lockout for December and January and to the middle of February, get that contract done, and then suddenly players are reporting for uh, spring training. Or maybe they push the offseason schedule back, and then they don't start the season until like mid-April, because they screwed up in January and couldn't get a contract done. So it could just shove everything back. Do I expect? I think, I mean, obviously it'd be a huge mistake if they let these contract negotiations drag on so bad and get so sour that they can't even start the season on time or end up cutting into the season uh, like they did in 95, right? Didn't they start the season way late in 95 because of these contract negotiations, because of these strikes and these lockouts? So a huge mistake for Major League Baseball that does not get the greatest press, but we'll see what happens there. So that's the big news you're going to keep hearing. Names being added, names being subtracted. You're going to keep seeing this. Speaking of names being added and names being subtracted, the Indians, the Guardians have lost an incredible pitching coach. Ruben Niebla has been offered the job, has accepted the job for the San Diego Padres, Uh, head pitching coach, and he leaves. He was our assistant pitching coach, but for a long time was our, uh, you know, minor league pitching coordinator or whatever you want to, whatever the title actually was, something like that. Um, But this guy is responsible for developing a ton of the pitching talent within the organization, and it is frankly a huge loss. I mean, there were a lot of people out there thinking, why... I mean, give this guy Carl Willis' job. Well, you kept the old man and you let go of the young, brilliant guy who could relate to players. And, and yeah, I get that take. I do. I mean, it's kind of hard to just let go of your pitching current pitching coach and bring this guy up. Uh, it's a weird situation like that. I feel like a lot of times 
the pitching coaches get head coaching opportunities, and then you can bring the young guy up. But Carl Willis is not going to get those opportunities. I mean, he's pretty much a lifer as far as a pitching coach goes. So, um, yeah, it really sucks. It really, really sucks. And if you read, again, another article by Zach Meisel on The Athletic, in fact, it's this. I think this was the reason I resubscribed to The Athletic. They had the $1 deal going. And I was like, I really want to read this article. I really want to hear what the players are saying um, and the impact that he had on the players. I don't just want to take it from the beat writer's word of mouth. I want to hear the actual quotes um, from the players. Zach Plesak said he's the best mentor I've ever had. Logan Allen said he is a godsend. Uh, Obviously helped uh, with Logan Allen and reworking his delivery. Worked with Savali. He's the one that challenged Savali to spend the entire offseason redoing his windup and redoing his delivery. Uh, he's the reason Anthony Ghosh is this huge fireballer. Ghosh was throwing 88-89 and was just trying to throw strikes. And Nihibale summoned the converted outfielder to his office, this is a quote from the article, and told them, we have 20 other left-handers who throw 88-89. That's not what we signed you for. If you can throw 98, I want to see 98. And yeah, Anthony Ghost goes out there and says, all right, fine, I'm going to let it rip. And he did. And now he's in the major leagues. And now he's a key part of our bullpen because of that. So this is the kind of impact Niebla had. Uh, and it's really, really going to hurt. Uh, Cal Quantrill talked about the data and how Niebla broke down the data and gave him the relevant information. He said, if you just took what TrackMan gave you, it'd be a 100 gigabyte folder from every single game with lines and lines of data, and it would be gibberish. But Ruman and his team took that data and then gave them reports on the relevant information and what they can work on from that data. That's the kind of impact this guy had. So he's going to San Diego, and they've got a lot of pitchers in San Diego that need his help, including Clevenger, who is very excited to get his pitching coach back. So it's a huge loss for the Cleveland Guardians. Now, on the other side of that, we went out and got Chris Valeka to be our new hitting coach. And from everything I'm reading, Valeka seemed to have the same impact for the Chicago Cubs as their assistant hitting coach that Niebla had on the pitching side. So we lose one young, intelligent coach that's really good at relating to players. And we gain a young, intelligent coach who's really good at relating to players. In fact, he might be younger than some of the players on this team. He's in his mid-30s. Now, he was not a very good player, uh, a middling, uh, you know, below-average player in his years with the Reds, Marlins, and Cubs. Um, And, of course, that means he's going to be a great coach, right? That's how it works. If you suck as a player, maybe you could be good as a coach. Um, So... He joins the team, and this this has to be encouraging for people that have I've wanted to change at hitting coach for a very long time. And I know a lot of people are like, well, how much impact could that hitting coach have, right? He can't stand in the batter's box for those guys. They have to go up there and do it. I think his approach in working with players and working on their approach, whether it's their stance or whether it's just their approach at the plate, what they're doing, you know, We've talked about guys who, you know, get too pull-happy, don't use the whole field, you know. We'll see what kind of approach Valeka has. Is he a three-true outcomes kind of guy 
or is he a guy that likes contact and likes base hits? The three two outcomes, by the way, being strikeout, walk, home run. It's the only three true outcomes that the pitcher and the hitter can control. Everything else is out of their control. If, you know, Ahmed Rosario shoots one up the middle, anything can happen. The shortstop can make a diving catch on a line drive. The center fielder can track it down going into the wall, into the outfield wall, right? It's completely out of the pitcher and the hitter's control at that point. But the strikeout, the walk, and the home run are the three things that are in their control. So that's what they call them, the three true outcomes. So we'll see what his approach is. Personally, I like an approach of getting on base, creating havoc on the base paths, really getting a rally going. Plus, it's just more fun as a fan. Isn't it more fun as a fan to watch like a three-run rally as opposed to like a single, a walk, and a three-run home run, and then you're back in the, you know, back in the dugout uh, right after that? I mean, we all love home runs, but a three-run rally is exciting. You're on your feet. The whole stadium is rocking. You can feel all the momentum working against that pitcher, working in the favor of your team. Like, that's fun baseball. That makes a fun uh, spectator sport. So I like seeing that approach. Um, whether the home run or nothing approach wins you the World Series versus you know, the other way. I think the Atlanta Braves were a little more of the three true outcomes of the home run approach, whereas Houston, I think, was a little more of the let's get rallies going approach, let's get base hits approach, and Atlanta won the World Series, so okay, there's something to that, but we'll see what Vileka brings, so we lose one coach and we gain another, and I I mean, Niebla probably was not the only pitching coach in that Indians pitching factory. Obviously, Carl Willis has adapted to these new modes of thinking, and he's been a very adaptive coach. So he continues to bring leadership at the top. And I'm sure there's other names we just don't know that were in that minor league coaching factory, churning out these amazing pitchers. So we'll see if a new name pops up. If there's a new young name that kind of takes Niebla's place as the guru down there helping those minor league pitchers, working with all of them, because Niebla was all over the minor league system. So we'll see if a new name pops up to kind of take that role. All right, it's just news after news story after news story in this offseason mode. The other fun piece of news I thought was that Fermil Reyes is going to try to play some winter league games on the same team that Albert Pujols is playing for. And he's going to try to work more in the outfield. He's going to try to drop a few pounds, get a little quicker in the outfield. So that's fun. That gives the Guardians a little more flexibility with the DH position, with first base and right field. He's going to try right field and left field. So not only will Fermil Reyes get a little more experience in the outfield, but he gets to work with Albert Pujols and be in the same dugout in the same lineup as Pujols. And I think we can all agree, as far as right-handed power hitters go, Man, getting to learn from Pujols and talk with him every day is really going to have benefits for Fermil Reyes. So that is a really cool story to hear that he's going to be putting in the work this offseason. So like I said, it's just news story after news story after news story right now until the Guardians start really making roster moves. Right, the Reds have started making trades. They've they've let two players go. The Reds seem like they are really kind of tearing things back and tearing things down uh, as opposed to the other way. So Guardians, the Cleveland franchise loves trading with the Reds. So we'll see if maybe there's something there. 
The other thing with that 40-man roster is some of those names can be packaged in a trade. Say we want to go get one of those good outfielders from the Cincinnati Reds. We could package some of these young guys who we cannot protect in a trade and go get somebody. Go get somebody for the major league roster. Prospects have two purposes. There's two true out, three true outcomes for prospects. They either you either develop them into someone on your franchise. You eat, they either burn out and you end up releasing them and they end up you know failing out of baseball, or you trade them. You package them in a trade. Those are the three true outcomes for any minor league player. Make it burn out or get traded. So we'll see what the Guardians do because uh, they need to help that outfield. They really, really need to improve that outfield. And the bullpen is always a work in progress. Bullpens are always shifting and changing. You never know. Uh, will they bring back Blake Parker or Brian Shaw on you know spring training contracts, minor league invites, things like that, just like they did last year? I wouldn't be shocked if they did that. Um, same thing with Nick Wickren. Hey, they could they could offer Nick Wickren, uh, you know, the minor league contract with an invite to spring training, and he could be right back here next year. You know, you never know uh, what other teams will covet, you know, your former relievers or vice versa. If they'll just be left out there because there's so many relievers out there to choose from. We know that Classe and Karinchak and Ghosh and Sandlin are really going to make up the core of this bullpen. Who else will be added to it? All right, so that is all the news stories. Now, I got some mailbag questions that I want to get to, and I've got some MVPs to give out. So let's start with that. Let's start with MVP on the season. And I told you I was saving it, mostly because I forgot to do it in the pitching episode, but I was going to save it for this episode. So let's do it. Let's officially name our MVPs for the season for pitching and for hitting. And MVP for pitching is not a tough decision here. It has to be Cal Quantrill. I mean, after everybody else went down with injuries, uh, he may not have the best record. The best, most wins goes to Aaron Savali with 12, Plesak trailing at 10, and then Quantrill at 8. Uh, he might not have, no, he does have the lowest ERA. Of all the starters, he has the lowest ERA at 289. Uh, he has the, does not have the lowest whip. Savali has the lowest whip. As far as ERA plus goes, he has the highest ERA plus of all the starters at 152. More importantly, when everybody went down with injury, this guy that was stuck out in the bullpen to start the season came into the starting role and absolutely took off. I mean, had a fantastic second half of the season ends up getting 22 starts on the season and I mean it really really was impressive to see what this guy could do when he was finally given the opportunity I talked about it in spring training I just he wasn't that intimidating on the mound it didn't seem like anything he did on the mound uh would really you know was really keeping hitters off balance or anything like that but man when it came to regular season it really locked in for Quantrill and he really did a fantastic job as a starter. So he has definitely earned himself a spot in the rotation. I mean, he might be, when we break spring training this year, as the Guardians, he might be your number two starter behind Shane Bieber. It really was that good. Um, and then Savali, and then Plesak, and then McKenzie, or Morgan. So yeah, uh, Cal Quantrill definitely gets MVP on the season as far as pitching goes. 
And then on the hitting side of things, oh boy, uh, the hitting was not great all the way around, but I think we all have to agree that this team absolutely runs through Jose Ramirez and his bat. And he is definitely taking away MVP on offense for me. I don't think that's a huge surprise to anyone. Um, he It wasn't as runaway uh, as it could have been. The batting average you know, fell to 266, but the OPS was still up at 893. A 141 OPS plus to lead the team by a wide margin. Uh, 36 home runs leads the team, 103 RBIs leads the team, 111 runs scored leads the team. Yeah, Jose Ramirez was definitely MVP on the season when it came to offense. And that is why, please lock this guy up. Please, this guy is getting better uh, as he's getting older. Uh, And Jose Ramirez, it's not like... I mean, the way he's built, it just doesn't seem like his body is going to break down like a Miguel Cabrera's body, you know, kind of broke down on him a little bit. He's not like Albert Pujols' body kind of broke down on him. He's not a huge guy. He's not, uh, you know, a very top-heavy guy. He's a very well-built guy, and I think that he could continue to have success into his 30s. I really think... uh, He's going to continue to be a strong offensive force in Major League Baseball. And that's my dream for the offseason, that he gets locked up five years, six years, whatever it is, lock him up, please do a contract. Make him our guy. Make him our franchise guy uh, we can get behind. If If people are going to go out and buy a Guardians jersey, it should be a Jose Ramirez jersey. The only way you can really get that is if you know he's going to be here for a while. Do not listen to the trade rumors. Do not. Everybody's going to write an article this offseason. Every single baseball writer will write an article that includes the possibility of Jose Ramirez getting traded. Why? Because it's easy clickbait. Because it's an easy guy to look at. Okay, it's a franchise that loves trading stars as they're approaching free agency. It's a guy who's getting close to free agency but still has some value because of that one option year left. It's an easy article to write. And it's an easy way to get clicks. Every single writer will probably write it at some point this season. Ignore that noise. Wait for the Guardians to actually show you their hand, right? Don't panic over something that's not there yet. Wait for the Guardians to actually show you their hand. All right, so those are my MVPs on the season, and I promised you we would do a mailbag-type episode, and I've got a few comments in. Frankly, I'm disappointed by the lack of of emails that I got. Where are you at, morning people? Where? Come on. I know you all have opinions out there. I know you all have interest in this team. You've been listening to all the off-season episodes, just not filling up the inbox like I thought you would. So the opportunity is always there to email me at clevelandbaseballmornings at gmail.com. Let me know what you think. So let's get into the mailbag questions because I've got a few of them. The first one is from Chris uh, Chris emailed in a few weeks ago. So Chris had some really nice things to say to kick off. He said, hi, Davey. I really enjoyed the podcast throughout the 2021 season. With two small children, I'm usually checking box scores during the games as opposed to having the chance to watch them. And your podcast really helps fill in all of the important game nuances and details. So thank you, Chris. I appreciate that. And uh, I understand I'm usually chasing my dog around. Uh, during the game. So sometimes I have to go back and fill in some details. 
uh, before I could do the podcast. He said a couple of off-season questions for you. I'm actually going to jump to his number two question because I think it's already been answered. After a rough season for Nick Wickren, do you think the Guardians will give him an opportunity to rebound in 2022? I understand he'll have an arbitration raise coming, which could also play a factor into this. Well, they answered your question, Chris. They let him go. They let him walk. Now, they really haven't completely answered your question, though, because they could, like I said, offer him a minor league contract with a spring training invite, the old invite contract. So there is a chance that Nick Wickren could pitch for the Guardians, but this way they don't have to pay him the arbitration money, um, and they can bring him back at a reduced price if he is damaged goods. Like like Chris points out, he had a 505 ERA. So he was 2-9 and nine on the season, which is rough for a reliever to pick up all those losses. So yeah, he is definitely a little bit of damaged goods right now, and that could look really bad for another team. And we might be able to just bring him back as a spring training invite, as a minor league guy. So you never know. Some of these guys end up sticking around. These relievers end up sticking around a long time. I mean, Blake Parker is in his late 30s and took a minor league contract because they know. They know there will always be opportunities for relief pitchers. And if they just stick around AAA long enough, they will make it back to the majors uh, and get another chance. Now, his first question, I like this one. With the 40-man roster crunch and likely a few outfielders being added, he says uh, George Valera, Gonzalez, Quan, Palacios. This offseason, do you think the soon-to-be Guardians might plan to retain one, both, or none of Bradley Zimmer, Oscar Mercado as a defensive first, fourth outfielder? Is there any hope they land another regular starting outfielder via trade or free agency? Chris, I will tell you, and we talked about this a little bit, and I think you could throw uh, Daniel Johnson in there too. I really think you can only retain one. I really think with the crunch on the 40-man roster and all those names knocking on the door, I really think between Zimmer and Mercado and Daniel Johnson, it really only makes sense to retain one of them. And frankly, I, for some reason, I'm still locked on Oscar Mercado. I know Zimmer had those majestic home runs. Frankly, they're only, you know, they only look good in a home run derby. When you hit, you know, when you're hitting one a month, I'm sorry, it's not good enough. Uh, Bradley Zimmer really struggles at the plate. And Daniel Johnson just has not, and he's gotten a couple of opportunities, just has not hit at the major league level. So, uh, Oscar Mercado, we've seen it before, and I, I think he plays in the clubhouse. I don't know. It just seems like the guys really pull for Mercado. You know, you see those guys down at the end of the bench. Um, they seem to really be invested in Mercado as a teammate. So, I think Mercado plays solid defense. Um, I mean, so does Bradley Zimmer, but I think Mercado probably fits best as that defensive fourth outfielder. And yeah, I do. I'm curious. I'm very curious to see Stephen Kwan and Oscar Gonzalez and Valera and Palacios. But like I said, every guy called up from minor leagues is a crapshoot. I mean, no matter how good they are at the minor leagues, you have no idea what it's going to be like once they face major league pitching. So um, I do want to see them go out there and get someone via trade. If you look at the free agency market as far as outfielders go, it's going to be a very expensive market. And I'm not sure the Guardians have the pocketbooks to get into some of these contracts that are going to be handed out to outfielders. There's some big priced outfielders out there. I think the most obvious route 
for the Indians to add, the Guardians to add to their outfield is via trade. I think that opens up the most possibility. It helps with the 40-man roster crunch. I, I see them making a trade this offseason as opposed to signing a free agent. That's my guess. That's my prediction. So thank you, Chris, for the email, and I'm glad you enjoyed the show all season, and then we helped fill in those game nuances and those details. All right, we got another message from uh, Jeff in Chicago, and Jeff had a question for us as well. Jeff said, The Cleveland Indians World Series championship drought, 1948, is the longest active among all 30 current major league teams. Maybe a name change to the Guardians will be a fresh start, or maybe it will be a curse. Only time will tell. Seeing the Braves win again only adds fuel to the fire for me as a fan to see the Guardians get that title. We've got 36 years before we can break the Cubs mark of 108 years. So hopefully it happens before then. Wow. That is 36 years away from tying the Cubs mark of 108 years. That's almost, that is hard to hear, right? That we're getting actually that close to the Cubs. I mean, the Cubs were the most cursed team in baseball. Their drought was, I mean, it was painful to watch sometimes. And we're 36 years away of tying that mark? We have got to get a World Series. And it's not like we haven't had shots at it, right? 95, 97, 2007, 2016. Like, we've had our shots at it. Yeah, man, we, uh, Jeff is right. We have really got to do something as the Guardians. We cannot get up to 100 years in between World Series titles. That is brutal. So, yeah, so uh, it does add fuel to the fire. And uh, I don't think the Guardians name change is going to be a curse here. I think, I think it's going to be a good thing for the city eventually. I think the font and the, uh, the logo need a lot of work before we can truly get behind it. I think it is embarrassing. The one thing we didn't talk about in the news was the whole lawsuit with the roller derby team. I think that is highly embarrassing for the franchise and the city that that was not worked out. And I frankly, I think that the Cleveland franchise has been playing by some really dirty tactics to try to get that name changed to the Guardians. I am very, very embarrassed by what's going on there. But It'll probably all get worked out. People will get their money. It'll probably all get worked out. That's the way these things tend to go. Um, But he's right. Uh, We have got to get things going. We cannot let this hit. We cannot let this hit 100 years in between World Series championships. That is brutal. All right. Our last question comes from Steve. And uh, I'll, I'll give you a hint. It's my brother. Uh, and he had he was firing off questions for me. Um, he said, what would be your plan to reinvigorate a fan base that feels detached from the franchise after all the losing salary dumps and name change? My idea, my idea is Jose Ramirez and Shane Bieber maybe too. I mean, lock these guys up and let the franchise know, let the fans know that you are committed to these players as a franchise, that these are our guys. For me, Reyes, you know, maybe locking him up. Uh, so, yeah, it'll be interesting to see what they end up doing. And there's other pitchers, too. I mean, there's other pitchers that probably deserve some locked-up contracts. Do they Can they get something done with a Savali or a Quantrill so they don't have to worry about arbitration with these guys, with McKenzie? 
so they could just let these guys play for the next five or six years and don't have to worry about going to arbitration over and over and over again with all of these guys. So I think that is the way to reinvigorate the fan base is frankly to hand out some contracts, which I mean, they love their financial flexibility. So I don't know if they'll do that. I don't think they realize the good press it would create by handing out those contracts. So my brother kept firing questions at me. He said, if that's such a loaded question, how about just analyze the middle infield log jam? Yeah, you think the outfield is a mess. The middle infield is also going to be a real thing that has to be sorted out between Ahmed Rosario and Andres Jimenez and Owen Miller and Ernie Clement and uh, Gabriel Arias and Yu Chang and Tyler Freeman. There are so many names. And frankly, how many of those guys can you convert to first baseman or third baseman or outfielders, right? There's only so many positions. I think what takes care of that middle infield logjam is a trade for a proven outfield bat. Or, I mean, it'll be interesting to see what of these guys end up out in left field in spring training, right? I don't know if any of them really make good outfielders. I mean, most of these guys are pretty solid middle infielders. But could Andres Jimenez, some of the older guys maybe get traded? Could Andres Jimenez get traded to make room for a Gabriel Arias, right? So it'll be interesting. And what of these guys will live up to their potential when it comes to facing major league hitting? Andres Jimenez is still working on it. Owen Miller definitely did not. Ernie Clement, I don't know if his bat was as highly regarded as Owen Miller's. I mean, Owen Miller was hitting everything in spring training, everything in AAA, and then came up to the major league level, and it was not there. Uh, Ernie Clement, I don't know if his bat had the same promise. So I really think it's going to be interesting when Gabriel Arias and Tyler Freeman are ready to come up to the majors. That, I think that is where the log jam is going to be because you're going to have Andres Jimenez, Gabriel Arias, and Tyler Freeman, and you're going to have to find spots for them. So packaging them in a trade for an outfielder, I think that is one of the ways that they take care of this middle infield log jam. And then he says, how about the future plans for James Karinchek? Well, I can tell you with Karinchek, and uh, me and him got into a conversation about this, about the spin rate and the sticky stuff. And right, he obviously went to AAA and was working on things. Came back for the last few games. Actually was pitching okay. The spin rate, I don't believe, affects the curveball as much as it affects the fastball. What the high spin rate on the fastball does is it works against gravity. So a lot of guys have their fastball drop. It's going to drop a few inches because of gravity working against it. But if you can keep the spin up, the higher the spin is on the fastball, the more it stays straight and up in the zone. And Karinczak, if you notice, throws his fastball up in the zone a ton. That's where he lives with his fastball is at the top of the zone. So the curveball will always break. The curveball will always fall. But the fastball staying up in that separation is what makes him such an effective pitcher. So was he able to go to AAA and figure out how to spin that fastball and keep it up? you know, without the sticky stuff. That is the key to Karinczak's game. So coming into spring training, watch where his fastball location is. If he's keeping it up, it's going to mean good things for James Karinczak going into the 2022 season. All right, those are all our mailbag questions. And thank you very much to Chris, to Jeff, to my brother for throwing those questions in. You can throw them in all off season. 
Uh, clearly, we're not going to have enough to do a whole mailbag episode, so you just keep throwing them in on offseason. ClevelandBaseballMornings at gmail.com, and I will keep answering them throughout our offseason episodes. I don't know when our next episode is going to be. We'll let the news build up. If the Indians make a move or a trade or a signing or there's some big offseason news worth talking about, I will jump back on here and do a new episode. But until then, hey, if you want some show merch, we are coming up the holiday season. For the Cleveland baseball fan, what would be better than a Cleveland baseball mornings? T-shirt, hoodie, coffee mug, stickers for men, women, kids. Show off your pride for Cleveland baseball and help spread the show's name with some high-quality shirts and gear. The link is in the show notes on whatever app you're listening on, and it is still in my pinned tweet on Twitter at Davey Barris. So how about for your kids, huh? Wouldn't it be cool to get them a Cleveland Baseball Mornings t-shirt? So it's clevelandbaseballmornings.myspreadshop.com. Go check it out. All right, that is all my thoughts. Thanks for joining me on this Cleveland Baseball Morning. You can follow me on Twitter at Davey Barris. You can email the show, like I said, clevelandbaseballmornings at gmail.com. Let me know your thoughts on the franchise, on the Guardians, and we'll discuss them on the show. Also, I'm hosting this podcast on Anchor. So if you go to anchor.fm forward slash clevelandbaseballmornings, you can leave a voicemail for the show. We'll play it back in the air, respond to your thoughts, and we'll have a fun conversation amongst the fans about baseball. So thanks again for joining me on this Cleveland Baseball Morning.